0: Well, I hope everybody's doing well. hope you had a good week this last week. Uh, We're going to be studying out of Matthew this morning, uh, as normal, and I look forward to our study together. Uh, Joseph had a little bit of a stuffy nose and a little bit of a cough, so Jenna's at home with him and Naomi and Phoebe. Um, Hopefully nothing serious. I think it's just weather change and, and all of that. I think a lot of people are dealing with that. Uh, there's a lot of people traveling, uh, continue to be thinking about them, but we also have a singing schedule for tonight, uh, so if you're able to make it tonight to encourage one another in song, I hope that you can do that. I look forward to that. When we hear news about Christians being executed, um, does that stir up emotions inside of us? Um, does that make us wonder... Could I do that? It um, has me usually whenever that kind of thing happens. It's just kind of like, that's the that's way to go. You know, we're thinking about Stephen and we're thinking about um, Peter and Paul and James and other disciples who, when faced with opposition, were willing to lay down their lives in order to serve Christ and be faithful to him. But. As we think about ourselves, um, maybe some of us are thinking, yeah, of course, you know, I would do that. And we just kind of sang a song that actually pointed to and committed to doing that, to uh, laying it all down and be willing to sacrifice myself if that's what it takes in order to serve Christ. But as I was thinking about that, uh, a thought came across my mind that. If I can't be faithful to acknowledge Christ to strangers around me and I meet every day who who pose no threat or no danger, then what makes me think that I would be faithful in the face of death? And that to me is a very scary thought and something worth considering. We've been studying about the preparation section of the crucifixion. Uh, in Matthew 26, it starts to tell us about the, the religious leaders preparing to murder Jesus. It tells us about Jesus himself saying, two days are co- after two days is the Passover, and then I will be delivered up. Uh, just like he has said previously uh, in the text, we see him being anointed for burial. We see him, uh, his betrayer, Judas, arranging the murder of Jesus. We see Jesus uh, establishing the Lord's Supper, as a meal to remember him by as he is giving his body and his blood uh, for the forgiveness of sins. We've, we've seen all of that, and now we're starting to move further into the night of the last night of Jesus's life. In verse, seven, uh, verse 26, I'm sorry, verse 30, it says, when they had sung a hymn, they went out, To the Mount of Olives. Jesus and his disciples uh, had been together that night. He had told them about the betrayal. They've eaten the Lord's Supper. And then we read from John's text, uh, John's Gospel, chapters 14 through 17. He actually gives them a long uh, kind of a sermon, an explanation of what's about to happen to him. Uh, And he tries to encourage them in John 14 through 17. Uh, in verse 16, he said, I'm, I'm saying these things to you. In verse 1, I'm saying these things to you so that you won't fall away whenever I leave you, so that you'll be encouraged to know that I am going to bring you the gift. The Holy Spirit is going to be given to you, and it's going to reveal to you and help you understand all these things that are happening. And he's trying to encourage his disciples so that they won't fall away. And he's praying for them, and he's, he's desiring to help ease their minds over what they're about to go through. Throughout that text, we get the picture, they have no idea. They're just asking question after question. Where are you going? Why, are you gonna, why do you have to go to the Father? Show us the way to the Father. Let us go too, in other words. And Jesus says, you know the way. I am the way. And I've got to go in order to prepare a place for you. And all these wonderful, encouraging words Uh, And then they end, before they go out to the Mount of Olives, they end with a song. I don't really know what that song is. Uh, In in fact, in the Greek, the text says, when they had hymned, uh, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Uh, In the Passover meal, I read from tradition that uh, they would drink four cups of wine, and along with those cups of wine, they would be singing, Psalms 113 through 118, Uh, Those psalms that are all about the rescue from Egypt and praising God for the salvation, the redemption that he's given them, and also calling for Israel to trust in the Lord for their salvation. And so maybe they were singing uh, Psalm 118, wrapping up those psalms, or maybe Psalm 136, which repeats the phrase, his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. As it's recounting, the rescue from Egypt. It repeats the phrase, his steadfast love endures forever. I don't really know what the song is, but I could see that being a song to go out on and to be thinking about. God's steadfast love endures forever. As they go up to the Mount of Olives, they get there and Jesus gives them some bad news. Verse 31, Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows... You will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. We see some bad news coming from Jesus, more bad news, right? He's told them I'm going to die. He's told them one of you will betray me. And now he says, you will all fall away because of me interesting as we read these words and we see the reaction of the disciples. We know they've been stretched to their limits, right? I mean, the idea that Jesus has to die is not something they were ever willing to accept. They are really struggling with this idea. Jesus, you're not supposed to die. You're the Messiah. You're the King. You're supposed to take over everything. Then the idea that there will be a betrayer in their midst. And we see some humility in them saying, is it I, Lord? Is it I? But now, Jesus tells them, every single one of you are going to betray me. And it seems like it's just too much for the disciples to accept. But Jesus says, as it is written. That's interesting. You see, before you were even born, before you were even a little glimmer in your mother's eye, before your mother was born, hundreds of years beforehand god knew what was going to happen on this very night and he told us about it in zechariah chapter 13 we read verses 1 through 7 as a scripture reading i'd like for us to look again at zechariah 13 verse 2 beginning and this is, zechariah is a prophet who was one of the last prophets in israel And he was a prophet that was full of encouragement for the people because they were disheartened about not being able to build their temple and and all the pressures that they had. And God's trying to encourage them. So there's a lot of Messianic text throughout the book of Zechariah. And here we come to a text that is Messianic, but it's a difficult text. And as you're reading through it, you might be inclined to think this is not so much Messianic as it is judgment against God's people. But it says... And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. That's a good thing, right? And, I also, and also, I will remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. Interesting. So that's good. Remove the, remove the idols, remove the spirit of uncleanness, you know, the, the evil prophets. It says... And if anyone again prophesies, his father and mother who bore him will say to him, You shall not live, for you speak lies in the name of the Lord. Well, that sounds like a good thing. We don't want those liars to be in there, right? Uh, it says, And his father and mother who bore him shall pierce him through when he prophesies. And it says, On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. Well, that's not good. Are these the bad prophets? They should be ashamed, right? But. What about good prophets? He will not put on a hairy cloak in order to deceive, but he will say, I am no prophet. I am a worker of the soil, for a man sold me in my youth. And if anyone asks him, what are these wounds on your back? He will say, the wounds I received in the house of my friends. A picture of a total rejection of all prophets is about to take place. And then listen to what God says. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. In the whole land, declares the Lord, two thirds shall be cut off and perish and one third shall be left alive. Now that doesn't sound very good. But, okay, maybe it's a bad shepherd. In the past, God's pronounced judgment against evil shepherds. Um, maybe this is another pronouncement of judgment against evil shepherds. And, but, wait, the sheep are scattered. That doesn't sound good. God usually takes care of his sheep. He gathers his sheep. He, he, he works to serve his sheep and provide for his sheep. So why are the sheep being scattered? You know, there's some things about this that are just so confusing if you're reading through it in the Old Testament. And then he says he's going to cut off two-thirds uh, and they're going to perish, and one-third is going to be left alive. This is a massive judgment that it seems like he's talking about. And then he says, And I will put this third, this one-third that's left, into the fire, and refine them as one refines silver, and test them as gold is tested. They will call upon my name, and I will answer them. I will say, They are my people. And they will say, The Lord is my God. We go through this prophecy in Zechariah chapter 13. We see the difficulty of this text. Like, what is this about? Why, why is he talking about God uh, hurting his people? Why is he talking about him hurting his shepherd? You know, what's going on here? But all of this is pointing to the Messiah and what would happen with the Messiah. And the difficulty of this text is being explained by Jesus. What is happening? He says, you will all fall away because of me. For it is written, I will strike the sheep, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Jesus knows what this prophecy is about. and He's explaining it to his disciples. This prophecy tells Jesus he will be all alone. God will allow his shepherd to be struck by the enemy. He will allow his sheep, he will allow the disciples to scatter. And Jesus will die for us. It's interesting as we read this, it shows us he knows what's going to happen. We've been seeing that this whole time. (laughs) He knew he was going to die. He knew he was going to suffer crucifixion at the hands of the religious leaders. He knew that it was going to happen on the Passover. He knew that uh, Judas was the betrayer in their midst. He knew that all his disciples were going to abandon him. He knew everything before it happened. And so we might ask ourselves the question, why would you go through with that anyway? Knowing what was going to happen, knowing that there was going to be a knife in your back, a betrayer, a friend, one who you loved, who is going to betray you and hurt you, that all those who you love, who you've taken care of, are going to be weak and they're going to go away and no one's going to stand with you, no one's going to be righteous enough to hold on to the faith that you are who you say you are. Why would you go through that? he did. He didn't make the decision, okay, I'm going to go through all of this pain and suffering if one person will stand with me. If I can just find one righteous person who is willing to stand with me, then I'll go through with it. He didn't make that decision. He said, even though everybody will betray me. I will stand and do what I've been called to do. Well, the disciples don't really take this bad news well. Their response is essentially, no, I won't. He says, you're all going to betray me. No, I won't. I'm not going to do that. I mean, you think about it, why would they give up now? Think about all that they've given up already. Think about all that they've done to serve Christ, how they've stood with him in, in so many difficult situations, how they've counted as lost everything in order to follow Christ. Why would they give up now? And so they just, they've, they've come to Jerusalem knowing the religious leaders want to kill Christ, and they've come anyway. Why would they give up now? So they reject Jesus' prediction. Nope, you're wrong, Jesus. Peter seems to be the first one to stand up and do that, which is interesting because Peter has a history of rejecting Jesus' words to him. Jesus says, I'm going to die. He says, no, you won't. <laughs> You're the Messiah. That can't happen. Uh, it happens again later on. Uh, Jesus trying to wash the disciples' feet. You're not going to do that to me. Why would Peter reject Jesus? Jesus's words. Why would all the disciples reject Jesus's words? Did they not believe him? We see in this text, Peter is determined (laughs) to stand out among the rest. Notice the words that he said in the first rejection. Uh, He says, Though they all fall away, verse 33... Because of you, I will never fall away. Kind of throws everybody else under the bus, doesn't he? You see, he's making this last attempt to be the greatest. I'm going to be better than everybody else here. And Jesus has taught him about greatness. Greatness is not about appearing to be the the greatest. It's not about the, the physical, the external, those kinds of things. It's about service. It's about humility. You know, and that's not what we see in Peter at all. He hasn't learned what greatness means. He's still putting himself first. He's putting himself out there as the greatest of his disciples. And he has no idea that before he can be first, he has to become least. But will they really deny Christ? Christ? This reminds me of back in Matthew chapter 10. The words of Jesus were very clear. Jesus is talking to his disciples before they go out and they they cast out demons and they preach the good news. And he tells them, So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. You just kind of wonder Are they really going to deny Jesus knowing that that is what has been told them? That they must acknowledge Jesus in order to keep from being denied heaven, denied by God? Are they really going to deny Christ? Are they going to fall short in this way? Well, we're going to study about that, but the text doesn't move into... The, their denial, it moves into Jesus's prayer in Gethsemane. And because I didn't really have time to go through all of the prayer in Gethsemane, I could probably spend two weeks talking about that, we're going to just kind of end our reading there. And if you know the story, you know what's going to happen. You know they're going to end up denying Christ. They're going to end up abandoning him. Uh, you can read that if you haven't, haven't read that before and see that is the case. Jesus's prediction is spot on. They will deny him. They will leave him. Uh, and and Peter himself will deny Jesus three times. But what do we learn in this text? First of all, I think it's important for us to understand and see that Jesus knew how weak his disciples were before he chose them to be his disciples. Just let that sink in just a little bit. He knew that they would be weak. And he chose them anyway. You remember, Jesus didn't go in and choose the mighty men of Israel to be his disciples. He chose fishermen. He chose tax collectors. He chose zealots. He chose uh, common people. And he is expecting all of these things to happen to his disciples. He's expecting them all to fall away. As he's leading them and teaching them and working with them for three years, he knows They're not going to get it. They're not going to be faithful when the time comes. But he gathers them anyway. And he takes care of them. And he wants to help them and wants to give them everything they need to be successful, knowing that they'll fail. That seems kind of odd to us, right? Why would Jesus do that? Why wouldn't he just stop all this from happening? You know, a lot of times we might ask that question. We kind of talked about it a little bit this morning in the garden. He's going to kind of point out, I, I could have, you know, he could have called 10,000. He could have done a lot of things. Why wouldn't Jesus stop all of this? Well, the short answer is he did this for his weak disciples. He let his disciples fall away for them. It is for their good. It's for their good that they fail. Do you ever think about failure like that? It's for our good that we fail. I wasn't really brought up taught that. <laughs> so I'm like trying to avoid failure at all costs, you know, and and now with my children, I'm like, No, it's okay. You're going to fail, and it's going to be okay. It's all right. That's what Jesus is trying to help his disciples go through. Failure. They're going to fail, and it's going to be okay. You're you're going to deny me, but it's going to be okay. I'm not going to hate you for it. I'm not going to hate you for it. I don't want you to deny me. I want you to to agree and to follow me, but I know you're going to. And it's going to be for your good. Because that's not who you are going to be. That's just who you are right now. You're going to learn from this. You're going to grow from this and become stronger and able to accomplish more. And one day you will die for me. But right now, you need to fail. And when you do, I'll be there. Look at verse 32. He said, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. You see, Jesus knew they would fail. He knew they'd deny him. But he also knew he would be raised up and he knew that he would meet them in Galilee. And once they're there, They'll understand. He'll breathe the Holy Spirit on them. He'll he'll give them the understanding of everything that has happened and their faith will grow and their strength will grow because God will be helping them and they won't have the the mentality of pride and arrogance that they have right now that they think, I'm going to be the greatest. The humility will come and they'll become great by becoming least. This is what this text is telling us Jesus knows they're weak and sinful and they're going to fail. And he's going to be there for them after they fail. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Think about how this applies to us. Consider how we resemble Peter. How do we resemble Peter? I became a Christian In 2005, Uh, 2006, 2007, 2008, those were rough years. (laughs) Uh, New Christian, don't know that much, uh, but I know that these people around me are sinners and that they're going to go to hell, and I got to tell them everything that they're doing wrong. How do you think that went? Not so good. Especially whenever they told me what I was doing wrong, <laughs> and I started seeing I'm not what I need to be right now. I need to be concerned about myself a little bit more than I'm concerned about everybody else. And I worked for Stanley Steamer during that time, and I was in a van alone with someone else, and they got to hear, you know, we got to talk, and we'd come up talk about God, and I'd be talking to him about, you know how they're wrong and how the Bible says this and probably didn't have the right attitude. I wanted to help them, but I didn't know what I was doing and it was rough. Well, my brother worked for Stanley Steamer as well and I'm sure he talked to my dad about it. My dad had a conversation with me and he said, son, at work, we don't talk about religion and we don't talk about politics. That's the rules. I love my dad very much he's wrong. He's dead wrong. 2009, I had a job interview. Uh, Eaton Hydraulics. Seemed like a good place. They were going to pay really well. Uh, the people there didn't quite seem right. You know, it's just not really that church-going type. Uh, maybe one or two of them were, but for the most part, I could see some ungodliness there and stuff like that. But still, I had no jobs. I was wanted to get married So I went in the interview, everything looked good, uh, and it seemed like they were going to hire me. They actually wanted to hire me. (laughs) Um, And then they hit me with a question out of left field So, who do you idolize? Mind went blank. Couldn't say Jesus. Tiger Woods. Of all people, Tiger Woods. 2009 is the year when he crashed that car and got caught cheating and all that kind of stuff happened. Just a few weeks, a few months later, that happened. Oh, I regretted that. Didn't accept the job offer. Went somewhere else. Just ashamed. I thought I was strong. I wasn't. But you know what? That failure that the disciples had did not define who they were. And our failures don't have to define us either, either. The beautiful picture that we have in this text is that Jesus is there on the other side of our failure, allowing us to go through it, knowing that we can grow from it, we can become stronger. That we can get to the point where we understand <laughs> that that arrogance is ridiculous. That we should be people of humility, recognizing that we fail often. That we can't do this on our own. That we need God's help. And God's strength to do what we're called to do. But what we, what we see in this text that's most wonderful to me is Jesus doesn't hate us for failing the weakness in our flesh he sees he knows he understands the sincerity of our spirit to desire to obey god to submit to his will to do the things that he's called us to do will work in us to strengthen us we'll study we'll learn we'll perfect the craft we'll grow in boldness and encouragement as we talk to one another as we encourage one another And we will bring people to Christ because God will work through us to glorify his name. We will acknowledge Christ before men. And that's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. I don't know your story. I shared with you mine uh, in some ways things that I've never really shared with anybody but you may have something very similar that you have done or gone through. And I hope that that provides you with some level of encouragement to get back out there. To let people know that you believe in Christ, that you worship God, that you love God, that he's amazing, that he provides for every spiritual need we have, and that they ought to be a part of this so that they can be blessed like we are. Don't have the attitude of the young Casey of pride and telling everybody they're doing everything wrong, but have the attitude of welcoming those who are lost because we're all lost without God and without Jesus as our sacrifice. If you're here this morning and you have not put on Christ and received the grace that he offers, it's available for even you. It's available for even me. And you can receive it And you can find grace to help you throughout your life. And at the end, you have a home in heaven with God. If you're here this morning and you've struggled and you need prayers, uh, don't be afraid. Feel free to come forward uh, and ask for help. And we will pray for you and God will strengthen you. If we can help, please come as we stand and sing.